Hey everybody and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And this week we're watching... Million Dollar Baby. A determined woman works with a hardened boxing trainer to become a professional. So this is the first movie in our Oscar-winning performances series. This one's a twofer. It is a twofer. Got Hilary Swank with her second Oscar and Morgan Freeman also with his second Oscar, maybe? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know for certain. Okay. The budget for this film was $30 million, but may have been inflated per variety as they said it was actually $18 million. Hmm. The gross for this film was $216,763,646. They pulled a Rocky. They pulled a better than a Rocky. Yeah. They pulled the original Little Miss Sunshine with this movie. Oh, dang. Like That's, that's pretty amazing. This is a gigantic return on investment. Hmm. It took years to get this movie made. I knew that. I knew this one was kind of in development hell for a while. So yeah, I hadn't seen this movie. The biggest reason it was in development hell for so long is because it's a fucking downer. Yeah, it's it is a, a depressing story. It is the anti-Rocky, and I don't mean that it doesn't have some of the same inspirational and heartwarming elements, but it is the opposite trajectory of Rocky. See, I didn't f- like. There are downer moments, but I don't feel like this is a downer of a movie. Context, I think, makes it a downer. Um, in 2018. The conversation that this movie is having is not nearly as shocking and depressing as it was in 2004. Okay, well, I never saw it, so this is new to me. I actually knew the stinger of the film, which I knew was kept secret to everybody when the film came out, because of The Office. (laughs) There's an episode where they're they're all faking an emotional reaction to the death of somebody, and they're all retelling <laughs> plot lines to movies. I forgot and, about this. And Pam, she's like, um, my aunt was a boxer and she um she got injured and she had her coach remove her breathing tube. And I was and then I don't know, I can't remember if it's the same episode, but another time Michael calls her Makushla. And so I was just like <laughs> I knew that was from this movie and I was like, Okay, so I get it. Like I I know all of this. Okay, I'm good. All so right. I knew that was coming. Well, after it was nominated for Best Picture, it stayed in the top five at the box office every weekend until the Academy Awards happened. Okay. And it played six and a half months in theaters. I mean, I remember it being a really big deal. It just was not... One, I was in college and I was super freaking busy. Like, I distinctly remember this Oscar ceremony and me being at Applebee's. I was doing a show. I was there with some cast members and we watched her get her Oscar and we're just like, really? Really? She needs a second one? Really? And and then we just moved on. We didn't care because we we were all too busy to worry about it. I remember feeling similarly. Mm -hmm. And then one night, I had no intention of ever seeing this movie, even though it was PG-13. And at the time, I probably could have gone. Okay. And then my dad, on a whim, who we normally just got like kind of dumb action movies or something like that, he was like, hey, let's do this one. I was like, okay. Yeah. And then I watched it and remember being, didn't think it was the greatest movie in the world. Mm-hmm. It was probably a little slow for me at the time, but also thinking, damn, they're really doing something good with this story. It's really good. It's a really like, good movie. It is a really good movie. And as someone who has never been a Clint Eastwood fan, mostly because I haven't seen a lot of him, yeah, he's amazing. It's a combination of him 
and Morgan Freeman and Hilary Swank. Those three together are just magic. They just are. They're just this little perfect team that is just really enjoyable to watch, especially having just watched the epic that is eight films of the Rocky franchise. Exactly. And being like, no, this is as entertaining to watch while being completely different. Yep. Because it's not the same story. And I was starting to get worried, like, hey, what kind of... Oh, no. But it, no, it was it's... good. It was good. So we'll start with the fact that this is based off a series of short stories mm-hmm. by an author named F.X. O'Toole. And F.X. O'Toole was the, the nom de plume of Jerry Boyd, who was a legendary cut man. And for years had tried to get this book published. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, it sounded like right around 99 or 2000, finally got somebody to publish these stories. See, when we were watching this film, I just like, I want Stitch. Where's Stitch? Stitch is the cut man in Creed and Creed 2. Well, Stitch in this is... Clint Eastwood's character. I, I know, but yeah. I was just like, I, I don't think he did a very good job pretending to be a cut man. That's why I wanted Stitch. I was like, where's Stitch? Come on. Many, many people, especially Alfred Ruddy, who's the producer of this film mm-hmm. and bought the rights, had wanted to make these movies for a long time, mm-hmm. especially this story. And eventually, the writer who comes around to give us this script is I, Paul Haggis. Yeah, I knew this was Paul Haggis because I've watched all the Scientology stuff. So I talked about... This and Crash. Right. He wrote they, those, the back-to-back Best Picture winners. He so they, well, so they both happened the same year. They're mm-hmm. both written the same year and produced the same year. Yes. And Haggis looked at his past credits and didn't even realize, like, he mostly started in TV mm-hmm. and created Due South and Walker, Texas Ranger. I knew that. Did not know that at I all. I knew that, yeah. And then he's got credits on L.A. Law and 30-something, but I seem to recall that he was part of those writer's rooms. 30-something was his big break. Yeah. So he, was, he wasn't he was the showrunner, but he was he, part of the writer's room on there. Yeah, that really was big, a big deal for him. That was right. where he got a lot of writing notoriety. Yeah. I remember that. He writes Crash first, mm-hmm. then he writes this, and this is his first produced screenplay. Mm-hmm. He was actually tapped to direct this film as well as Crash. I knew that. In the efforts of continually trying to find financing, which they could not Mm -hmm. get from anyone. Yeah. After eventually getting Clint Eastwood to agree to play Frankie Dunn, Clint said, I'd like to direct it as well. Okay. (laughs) You'll do a good job. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, at the time, the thing is, Clint Eastwood had... This was his 27th film, I think, directing, 25th or 27th. He'd been directing since 1971 and starring in a bunch of those movies. And he had a huge cash with Warner Brothers. Yeah. So I think a lot of it came down to they thought, well, if we put him in, Warner Brothers will at least give us the financing. Sure. Even that didn't happen. Oh, wow. Warner Brothers still would not give them the full budget. They only got half, and Clint had to directly talk to Lakeshore Entertainment to get the other half of the budget for this film. Hmm. It it took that much convincing, because everybody looked at this script and went, this is a downer. Who's going to go see this? Yeah, because the last third of the movie is about euthanasia. Uh-huh. But that's fascinating. So, yeah, yeah, nobody okay. nobody thought that they could produce this movie and make any money off of it. They were wrong. They were so fucking wrong. So wrong. Let's okay. talk about the script itself. That's great. The story's great to story's begin great. with. Story's great. It's very compelling. 
Yeah, it's it's a great story. Yeah, and Jerry Boyd is drawing off of real life experiences. Sure. Then you add the dialogue, and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Again, how often do I not complain about stupid shit? <laughs> okay, I've complained about wanting Stitch. That's about all I got for this movie. <laughs> That's what I'm complaining about. It's perfect. It, it's so good. It's so light. Never at a moment do I get any weirdness about what's going to happen with Maggie. I don't think there's anything... Like, I never, ever get an inkling of, like, some weird sexual crap. Oh, no. Which I love. Yeah. Because it would have so been the Hollywood thing to do to add, like, a romance or, like, she gets off track because she meets a man. No. It's never even a whiff. No. She's... Like, she gets harassed by the guys and then she gives them some lip and basically tells them to fuck off. And, and they, they all do. shut the fuck they up. They shut up and go away because they're scared of her. I love it. It's perfect. I think there are moments for me where they really hammer the nail way too high on the head, but they always gravitate back to a very realistic style and setting. I just, I loved it. Um, Especially when you have like the caricatures, Jay Baruchel's character, Danger. Mm -hmm. He's there to be comic relief, but he's also just this, he's kind of just this sad character, but it's also about just like persevering and keep going. Everybody in this movie is tragic oh, in sure. some form or fashion. Sure, but he's. it would have been so easy to make him super cheesy, could have had him leave, but then we get him coming back and be like, you know what? You're right. Anyone can lose one fight. You got to get back up and try again. <laughs> That's so perfect. That's beautiful. And it's great that we got to see that happen because it would have been so easy to just have him leave. It's weird in that it has the same inspirational moments as a movie like Rocky and yet everybody in this movie is some kind of a failure in some form or fashion. Yeah, but some people are failures. I know. Through no fault of their own. Not everyone can be a winner. And I love the stuff with her family and how you ju- you can just feel her wanting, just wanting to be a thank you. Just a thank you. And she doesn't, and, and even then, and then finally, I love that, oh, it, it was, that was hard, but I, I was so glad that it didn't happen. Yeah, I was so worried that she was going to give in and then Frank was going to come in and yell at her. And so I love that she was strong enough to be like, fuck y'all. So yeah, Paul Haggis is great. A plus work. After this, he uh, he worked with Eastwood on two more films, mm. Flags of Our Fathers and Letters to Iwo Jima. Oh, okay. And then also wound up writing Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, In the Valley of Elah, and directed Show Me a Hero, the HBO miniseries. He wrote Quantum of Solace and yes, Casino he did. Royale? Yes, he did. So, Haggis did all right for himself here. Yep. Here's the thing that I think really made this movie even better, which is the directing Mm -hmm. by one Mr. Clint Eastwood. It was very good. I have no complaints. (laughs) And no special things there? I mean, at this point, I've seen so many, like, boxing films. It's like, this this is fine. It's not too HBO. There's some good slow-mo. Like, it's fine. It's good. His quote to a producer, Albert Ruddy, on this was, it's a downer, but God, it's gorgeous. Yeah. I think a guy like Eastwood is perfect because a lot of th- something- kind of a downer dude. <laughs> well, Eastwood's directing style is very specific. He is a one-take, maybe two-take director. He does not like to linger on any shot. Mm-hmm. He wants to get it done. And he barely rehearses with the actors, too. His whole philosophy is, I want you there, I want you in the moment, and we're just going to go. I want you to show up, know your lines, and do your job. And yeah. when we get there, it'll happen on screen. Mm-hmm. He's also known for being a very easy-to-work-with director as well, just like wanting to help, wanting to make things good. Mm-hmm. That's part of what's crazy here is this filmed over 37 days. 
They filmed this in July of 2004. Cool. And they rushed it to release in December. The fact that it made the Oscars is insane by many people's thoughts. Well, it's just, one, you have a very tight script. I would be surprised if there was really any deviation from it. Like, I'm sure the fights, that's where you deviate a little bit just because you get a better shot or whatever. But that's also just trusting that I got it. It's there. And knowing exactly what you want to cut and just being like, doop, doop, being very quick with your decisions. That's Clint Eastwood that's all day long. That's great. This is, all, of course, his first sports movie that he's ever made. Okay. And production was moving so quickly on this that basically he took the crew that he had for Mystic River the year before mm-hmm. and basically just said, all right, you're on this one now. <laughs> he just rehired him for this movie because it was such a fast turnaround. Great. There's no reason to hire somebody else. You got you need a job, you're free, let's go. And I mean, that one won shit tons of awards too. So yep. on to our cast. Mm. And we start with Hilary Swank as Maggie Fitzgerald. She's great. And I'm usually really annoyed by Hilary Swank. <laughs> very, very much annoyed by her. She adds this level of subtlety that could so easily be a cliche. True. Like, it's it's such a blunt force character. No, it's just there's uh, there's so much heart in her. And a lot of it is, I, I got nothing else. I yeah, got, pretty I got, much. I, I got nothing else. And when she gives her whole speech, she's like, you know, I came to this world to fight, and that's why I'm leaving. Well, she gained 20 pounds of muscle training for this role. That's a lot, because she is not, she's she's a, she's a small woman. Yep. Like, I mean, she's got broad shoulders, but, like, she's she's not, like... Like me, if I gained 20 pounds of muscle, you'd be like, all right, big whoop. She's a small woman. That's a lot of muscle. It's a lot. The bigger thing, though, was she, her upbringing is very similar to Maggie's. Oh, yeah, I did know that. Her childhood is very, very similar, coming from kind of a, a lower economic, tougher mm-hmm. background. And so she immediately gravitated to this role mm-hmm. and was able to take all of that on. So it's a very personal performance for her, which I think is what reads so much in the heart of it. She actually got her start in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the 1992 film. Yes. And then next Karate Kid. Karate Kid 3. Of course, broke out with her first Oscar with Boys Don't Cry. It's a beautiful film. And then also in Nolan's Insomnia before this, the remake. Oh, yeah. And then after this, The Black Dahlia, P.S. I Love You. Oh, P.S. I Love You. Amelia, which no one saw and got trashed. Logan Lucky. Great. In a nice little cameo. And most recently, What They Had. Okay. It's a newer indie movie. Mm -hmm. Who could have been better, though? Okay. So originally, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how long ago this was. Okay. Angelica Houston. Yeah, I can see that. Pitched this script to Albert Ruddy. By the time he finally got the rights, she had already started working on a mm-hmm. new project. Sandra Bullock oh. was originally attached to this film. With this group. But after delays, Miss Congeniality 2 <laughs> conflicted and she was unable to do the role. That's kind of a shame because Sandra Bullock in this role could have been an Oscar contender. Yes. Because, I mean, Sandra Bullock. I mean, we, we never saw what the movie that she got her Oscar for, but I know she's that good. Like, I, I know. And that, oh, the blind side, that's what it's called. <laughs> I was just like, I'm just going to let you see if you can figure it out. It's kind I of knew it would come out. to me. So I, I would have loved to see her in this type of role. And then finally, considered for the role was Ashley Judd. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're going for the similarity and being able to bring a personal touch to the performance, Ashley Judd right away. No. 
Asha Joe can't act her way out of a paper bag. Sorry. Uh, no. Um, she's pretty, and that's about all she's got. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. Sorry to the Judd family. But would you, okay, would you trade Sandy B for Hillary Swank in this role? No, but she could have done as good of a job. I like what Hillary did. Sandra would have done as, it would have been an even trade, honestly. Clint Eastwood as Frankie Dunn. He plays a good curmudgeon. Do I have to tell you his roles? No. He's the man with no name, Dirty Harry, and basically stars in every movie he directs. We we talked about him when we did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It's great. This, to me, is like the last good third phase role he had. Because after this comes like Gran Torino, and then it's everything he's done past then. Yeah. And he plays this curmudgeon that was like, this is the best time you've ever done it. I just like how conflicted his character is. And I like how they never explain to us what happened with his daughter. They just don't. They're they're estranged. He's going to church every day, looking, f- asking questions, looking for answers. He writes his letter. He writes a letter to his daughter every single week. And that's it. That's all we get to know because it's not that story. And just arguing with the priest I just to it. pick a fight. It's perfect. And then of course, you know, his boxer just argues with him to pick a fight. You you got <laughs> yourself as a boxer. <laughs> of course he did. That's of course. It's just it's cute. He's great. Bass's voice on the producer Albert Dunn. Okay. And who could have been better, Mm. originally attached for this role, Mm -hmm. Morgan Freeman. Now, Morgan Freeman, before Clint was ever attached to the movie. He he said he wanted to do the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. Yeah, that's the right choice. Like, Morgan can do anything. He can do whatever he wants. He's amazing. He's much better as the former boxer and not the manager. Yes. And the guy who doesn't want to be directly involved. He's the narrator, as Morgan Freeman always is. Of course. But he's also the guy who's just kind of seeing what's happening and is pushing them together. It's like, you need her. Like, just shut up. Like, he's taking care of everybody. That's what he's doing. I mean, he's the one who writes the letter to his daughter. That's what we find out the narration for the whole movie is, is him telling his daughter, this is the man your dad turned out to be. Yeah. You need to forgive him. Oh. Ugh, which is heartbreaking impression. I know. I love it. And then it points back to just Clint being so good at being a curmudgeon, one, but also being a curmudgeon with this huge amount of wrenching conflict in his heart. Yeah. And underneath all that anger is like, a guy trying to figure his life out near mm-hmm. the end of it. Turn around to Morgan Freeman as Eddie Scrap Iron Dupree. That's great. Literally the voice of God. He's perfect. Like, we don't need to go through his credits. We've talked about him before. <laughs> He's great. Nothing interesting to add to what he does here. This feels like a very Morgan Freeman role, but he does it so well. There's a couple of things that set it apart for me. One, his accent is slightly different than what he does. Normally, he gets a very stentorian type accent. And this, he's got a little more southern twang to him. But I think more importantly is there's something darker in what he does with this role he's, than he normally does. No, he's very laid back. Yeah. He, yes, he's very laid back. Which is, it's just a nice slight change of pace for him. Jay Baruchel as Danger Barch. I love him. I love him as an actor. I just do. He's adorable. And he just, he plays this role so well because he's just the guy who this is all he has. That's all he has. He reminds me of those like Shakespearean characters where in the middle of this really dark tragedy, you have these random comic characters that pop in and out. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and they're mirroring the tragedy that's going on around them. They're like, they're, they're like, well, we've thrown a whole bunch of crap at you, so let me give it to you in a comic setting. Yeah. He, he's such a perfect... He's the comic relief, and he's good at it. Yeah, he's, he's so good in this movie, and doesn't play a stereotype. No. Just plays a human being. Yep. Mike Coulter as Big Willie Little. Anton Bishop. Uh huh. <laughs> this Anton is Bishop. this is his first film credit ever. Yeah, he's just Mr. Bishop from The Good Wife for me. That's 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 who he is. I love him. Well, and now he's Luke Cage. I mean, he's great. He's I mean, fine. He's in the movie for five minutes. I know, but he's he does good. do a he does do a really good job of breaking Frankie's heart. Yep. Anthony Mackie is Sharell Barry. Man, this is before he showed up. Like for real. He started with Eight Mile, mm-hmm. and then he was the lead in Spike Lee's She Hate Me. Oh yeah, okay. before this, mm-hmm. but this after this, he's got you know tons and tons of roles. And of course, you know he's the Falcon. Yep. In the Marvel, his performance though, he plays his part. Guy's such an asshole. Yep. <laughs> Margot Martindale as Earlene Fitzgerald. <sighs> She's the best mom in everything. Even when she's the she's, worst, she's a mom. horrible person. But she is the she's just the perfect mom. That's that's her role. She plays everyone's mom. I had no idea how many '90s movies she was in. All of them: Lonesome Dove, Days of Thunder, The Rocketeer, Lorenzo's Oil, The Firm, Nobody's Fool, Sabrina, Dead Man Walking, Marvin's Room, Ghosts of Mississippi, Practical Magic, Twenty Eight Days, Proof of Life, The Hours, and The Laramie Project. And also. That woman has barely aged. Oh, no. Yeah. And then she makes this huge pivot into being full-on TV character actress and is phenomenal. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. She's she's great in this movie by being the welfare mom, which really aggravates me as a plot point to this movie. I kind of hate it. Mm-hmm. I understand why it's there, but it f- that's the on-the-nose part for me. Yeah. These characters' roles feel really a little too much to be mm-hmm. real. But she does her best to convey that realistically. Yeah. Then we throw Ricky Lindholm in as Mardell Fitzgerald. She was so young. <laughs> so, so little Ricky Lindholm. AKA Garfunkel of Garfunkel and Oats. I love Ricky Lindholm. She's so great. <laughs> She's very cute on Gilmore Girls. Michael Pena as Omar. <gasps> I always enjoy seeing Michael Pena. He who's also in the Marvel Universe now, too. Yeah, I know. Plays Luis in Ant-Man. Completely broke out with Crash. That was yes. the big breakout role for him. Mm-hmm. But he's just in this I mean, for five minutes. He had been a bit player in a ton of stuff before that. But that was when he started getting more ra- name recognition. And he does a ton of comedy. So he also does a lot of voice work. Yeah, he, did a, he did TV and indie films was all yeah. I had. Mm-hmm. And... With the voice work after this, he yeah. does The Shield, Babel, Observe and Report, 30 Minutes or Less, End of Watch, American Hustle, Cesar Chavez, Fury, Ant-Man, The Martian, and Narcos Mexico is his most recent role. He's also one of the voices in Lego Ninjago. And My Little Pony, the movie. Oh, uh, yeah. He's Grubber. Yep. Forgot. He is also a Scientologist, which is probably how he met, got this role. That wouldn't shock me. This was still when Paul Haggis was in Scientology. And finally, in a very tiny role, Benito Martinez as Billy's manager. Mm, I was like, it's... Yep, it's Aceveda from The Shield. Oh, the Shield. That was a great ride. A little painful in the beginning, but it was such a great ride. I mean, he shows up. He's great. Whatever. I know. He was also in Saw this same year, which is crazy to think about. He was in Saw? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. This yeah. Is 2004. Sorry, I forget. I'm getting I lost. Know. And then, you know, just on every fucking television show after this. Yep. Everyone. Even now, up. I'm like, hey, it's him. <laughs> just watch a TV show long enough and you're like, oh, it's Benito. Hey, what's going on, Husband? much. If it's not him, uh, it's Walton. It's one of the two. I know. Trivia. Trivia. Lucia Riker playing Billy the Blue Bear. Okay. Was an actual boxing and kickboxing champion mm-hmm. and Hillary Swank's trainer in this movie. All right. That makes sense. Hillary Swank got an infection in a blister in her foot during training. Mm-hmm. It got so bad that at one point she thought she'd need three weeks in a hospital, but kill they ca- all of her muscle building. But she caught it fast enough mm-hmm. that she told no one, went on medical leave for one week, and nursed it back to health. Because she was trying to maintain her character and her character would not have told anyone about an injury like that. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. Weird decisions are made in the middle of filming. Like, I get, all right, I'm going to take medical leave. I'm going to take a week off and, like, medically nurse the shit out of this. So it's only a week. And, like, you tell as few people as humanly possible. But, like, yeah, whatever. That's kind of stupid. Machusla literally means my pulse, but can translate to my love or my darling. Makushla. Mm-hmm. And it's taken from Akush McCroy, pulse of my heart in Gaelic. Okay. Beautiful little phrase. Mm-hmm. Wonderful way to use it. The little girl in the truck that Hillary Swank looks at at that gas station is Morgan Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's daughter. His daughter? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean whatever. Clint's been married a few times. Whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the term million dollar baby refers to some actual nose art that was on a B-24 bomber in World War II. Okay. And another... Very eye roll moment. The name of the cafe where Maggie works is called On the Waterfront Cafe. Ha 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 ha. Lame. Yeah. Awards. Awards. So this was a big fucking deal at the 77th Academy Awards in 2005. Okay. We will go down the lists. Okay. Starting with Best Actor, Clint Eastwood was nominated okay. in this category. Also nominated were Johnny Depp in Finding Neverland, Don Cheadle in Hotel Rwanda, that's our winner, Leonardo DiCaprio, The Aviator, he did not win, and the winner that year, Jamie Foxx for Ray. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's fair. Clint was the only actor nominated for a fictitious role. Yeah. This was the year, this was the two year span of the biopic. Yeah, everything was a biopic. When when Ray came yeah, out no, and then I... everybody started going there. Best Supporting Actor, Clive Owen for Closer. Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx in Collateral. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Thomas Hayden Church in Sideways. Oh, yeah. We were really excited that year because he is an alumni of University of North Texas. Yeah. We have, few... <laughs> we have so few things to be excited about. We had one. <laughs> And Alan Alda in The Aviator. Mm. I don't... He was in it for five fucking minutes, and he wasn't that good. You know, Judy Dent won for eight minutes in Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, but she was also incredible. Yeah, she's Judy Dent. (laughs) But the winner, of course, was Morgan Freeman. Those roles are stupid, so yeah, give it to him. Yeah, Collateral was really good. I've never seen it. That was one I was very curious about. That's the one where he's the driver and Tom Cruise is the bad dude, right? he's, He's a taxi driver. Yeah. 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 Tom Cruise is kind of amazing in that movie because he's dark and twisted a little bit. That's where Jamie Foxx met Katie Holmes for the first time. 
Ooh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. And also, I've never seen Sideways, so. Neither have I. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Best Actress. Mm-hmm. The other nominees, because of course Hilary Swank won. won her second yeah. Oscar for this. The other nominees were Annette Bening in Being Julia. Kate Winslet for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, yeah. Catalina Sandino Moreno for A Maria Full of Grace, mm-hmm. which is one I've wanted to see. That movie is rough. Yeah? And Imelda Staunton for Vera Drake. Yeah, I wanted Kate Winslet to get it this year. But now having seen Hillary, yeah, it's Hillary's movie. This was one of those that I remember being like, Eternal Sunshine's amazing. How could they not give this movie everything? It's amazing. And then I saw this and went, Oh, I see. I get it now. I get it. No, I get it. I do. That's fair. (laughs) Best Picture, Mm -hmm. Million Dollar Baby won this year. Correct. The other nominees were Finding Neverland, Ray, Sideways, and The Aviator. Boo. Million Dollar Baby. No no question. No question. (laughs) The Aviator was really good. I've never seen it, it. but it's Million Dollar Baby. I liked it a lot better. Finding Neverland was stupid. Best Director. Okay. Taylor Hackford for Ray. No. That movie is not that great. Alexander Payne for Sideways, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese for The Aviator, and Mike Lee, who shows up every goddamn year mm-hmm. for Vera Drake. But Clint Eastwood won for Million Dollar Baby. Cool. This is the oldest director to ever win an Oscar. He was 74 years old. Damn. That means he is 88. Uh-huh. He's fucking old. I know. <laughs> It was also nominated for editing mm-hmm. alongside Collateral, Finding Neverland, and Ray. The Aviator won for editing. Yeah, because they did a little of the green, green screen, right? They had some of that, and they also had a whole lot of old movie type oh, stuff okay. going on with it. So, right. yeah. And then finally, it was up for adapted screenplay okay. along with Before Sunset, Finding Neverland, and Motorcycle Diaries. And that year, Sideways won adapted screenplay. I get that. It was the little movie that could. I get that. Like, I haven't seen it, but I get it. I remember this being a very boring year in movies. It was. So. And I was in college and super fucking busy, so. At least this was a highlight. This was good. How many speed bags would you give this film? It's your movie. You have to go first. Uh, I'm going to give it four. Okay. I'm going to give it four. I still really enjoy it. I think for me, it lost a little bit of its impact because... The movie does feel a little like it's on rails, like you know exactly where Mm -hmm. things are going, and yet they still manage to suck you in with really amazing performances and a very just good, gentle touch from Clint Eastwood. He doesn't do a whole lot, and that's exactly what it needs. It's a great movie. It's four. Uh, I'm going to agree with you on that. That was my first instinct was a four. All right. So I'm going to stick with it. It was really good. I would recommend it. I might not watch it again just because it's kind of slow. But it was, yeah, the performances are wonderful. It's a good story. It's a good conversation piece. It's like, it does make me go, okay, if this ever happens to me, please kill me. Please let me die. <laughs> because I don't want to live like that. Like, just just don't. Okay, so noted, if you're ever in a boxing match and you fall down and break your neck on a stool. If I am ever paralyzed from the neck down, please let me go. Let me get a cold and die. Just no, no measures at all. Like none. We no. If if my leg gets infected, you let it kill me. I'm gonna have to do research now to see if a podcast is a legally binding document. It's not, but that's how I feel. <laughs> like, if my quality of life has diminished, 
that much, let me go. Yeah. Yeah. Every everybody's different. Everybody's That's got different totally views fair. on that. No judgment to anybody who's like, no, I'm gonna live till the very last second. I more power to you. You you have as much life as you put into it. All right. Well, next week we talked about biopics a little bit. Yep. We're gonna dive into one. Because we're going to watch a movie that I've seen Lord knows how long ago. We're going to get real Australian with it and watch 1996's Shine. Oh, yeah. For a second, there was like, what movie are we watching? I forgot. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't seen this one. I don't know how many people have. And it's kind of a shame because it's so good. I do remember watching this Oscars. And not knowing what this movie was about. And then they played the music. And I was like, oh, it's about that guy. That's probably really interesting. And then I took a left turn and was watching all Kevin Smith films at that point. For years, the only thing I had ever seen was the trailer. And the trailer is incredible. And finally one day I was like, I got Netflix. I was like, I'm going to go get this movie. What the hell? And was like, oh, my God. I love Jeffrey Rush, so this is definitely up my alley. And I also I saw gotten around to it. And I also saw this before I knew who Jeffrey Rush oh, was, okay. and before I had seen any of the other movies he'd been in. This oh. was before Pirates, and this is before I had seen Shakespeare in Love or Quills or any of them. You did see Quills? Oh yeah, I've seen Quills. Did I make you watch Quills? No, I've seen Quills way before I knew you. That's a movie that one of my friends in college made me watch. Like, this movie is so fucked up, but it is amazing. And it's sexy. Love it. Sexy in a really weird way. It's not sexy. <laughs> it's just, just damn. Delicious. Ew. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Podcast over. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. <laughs> what the fuck is your problem? I don't know. Let's, let's redo that outro. No, because it's funny. <laughs> I'm yelling at you.